Christ the King Story Hour presents Pinocchio. Chapter 26 The Terrible Dogfish The next day, Pinocchio went to the government school. Imagine the delight of all the little rogues when they saw a puppet walk into their school. They sent up a roar of laughter that never ended. They played him all sorts of tricks. One boy carried off his cap, another pulled his jacket behind. One tried to give him a pair of inky mustaches just under his nose, and another attempted to tie strings to his feet and hands to make him dance. For a short time, Pinocchio pretended not to care, and got on as well as he could. But at last, losing all patience, he turned to those who were teasing him most and making sport of him, and said to them, looking very angry, "'Beware, boys! I have not come here to be your buffoon. I respect others, and I intend to be respected.' (laughs) "'Well said, boaster!' You've spoken like a book, howled the young rascals, convulsed with mad laughter, and one of them, more impertinent than the others, stretched out his hand, intending to seize the puppet by the end of his nose. But he was not in time, for Pinocchio stuck his leg out from under the table and gave him a great kick on his shins. Oh, what a hard feat, roared the boy rubbing the bruise that the puppet had given him. "'What elbows! Even harder than his feet!' said another, who, for his rude tricks, had received a blow in the stomach. But nevertheless, the kick and the blow acquired at once for Pinocchio the sympathy and the esteem of all the boys in the school. They all made friends with him and liked him heartily. And even the master praised him, for he found him attentive, studious, and intelligent. Always the first to come to school and the last to leave when school was over. But he had one fault. He made too many friends. And among them were several young rascals well known for their dislike of studying and love of mischief. The master warned him every day, and even the good fairy never failed to tell him and to repeat constantly. Take care, Pinocchio. Those bad schoolmates of yours will end sooner or later by making you lose all love of study. And perhaps they may even bring upon you some great misfortune. There's no fear of that, answered the puppet, shrugging his shoulders and touching his forehead as much as to say, there is so much sense here. Now it happened that one fine day, as he was on his way to school, he met several of his usual companions, who, coming up to him, asked, Have you heard the great news? Well, no. In the sea, near here, a dogfish has appeared, as big as a mountain. Not really. Can it be the same dogfish that was there when my papa was drowned? Well, we're going to the shore to see him. Will you come with us? No, I'm going to school. 
What does school matter? We can go to school tomorrow. Whether we have a lesson more or a lesson less, we shall always be the same donkeys. But what will the master say? The master may say what he likes. He's paid on purpose to grumble all day. And my mama? <laughs> Mamas know nothing, answered those bad little boys. Do you know what I will do, said Pinocchio. I have reasons for wishing to see the dogfish, but I will go and see him when school is over. Poor donkey, exclaimed one of the number. Do you suppose that a fish of that size will care about your convenience? As soon as he is tired of being here, he will start for another place, and then it will be too late. How long does it take to go from here to the shore? Asked the puppet. Oh, we can be there and back in an hour. Then away! shouted Pinocchio. And he who runs fastest is the best. Having thus given the signal to start, the boys with their books and copybooks under their arms rushed off across the fields, and Pinocchio was always the first. He seemed to have wings on his feet. From time to time he turned to jeer at his companions, who were some distance behind, and seeing them panting for breath, covered with dust and their tongues hanging out of their mouths, he laughed heartily. The unfortunate boy little knew what terrors and horrible disasters he was going to meet with. Chapter 27 Pinocchio is arrested by the gendarmes. When he arrived on the shore, Pinocchio looked out to sea, but he saw no dogfish. The sea was as smooth as a great crystal mirror. Well, where's the dogfish? He asked, turning to his companions. Well, he must have gone to have his breakfast, said one of them, laughing. Or, or he's thrown himself into his bed to have a little nap, added another, laughing still louder. From their absurd answers and silly laughter, Pinocchio perceived that his companions had been making a fool of him and inducing him to believe in tale with no truth in it. Taking it very badly, he said to them angrily, And now, may I ask what fun you could find in deceiving me with the story of the dogfish? Oh, it was great fun, answered the little rascals in chorus. And in what did it consist? Well, in making you miss school and persuading you to come with us. Aren't you ashamed of being always so punctual and so diligent with your lessons? Are you not ashamed of studying so hard? And if I study hard, what concern is it of yours? Well, it concerns us excessively because it makes us appear in a bad light to the master. Why? Because boys who study make those who, like us, 
have no wish to learn seem worse by comparison. And that is too bad. We too have our pride. Well then, what must I do to please you? You must follow our example and hate school, lessons, and the master, our three greatest enemies. And if I wish to continue my studies? In that case, we will have nothing more to do with you, and at the first opportunity, we will make you pay for it. <laughs> really? said the puppet, shaking his head. You make me inclined to laugh. Hey, Pinocchio, shouted the biggest of the boys, confronting him. None of your superior airs. Don't come here to crow over us. For if you are not afraid of us, we are not afraid of you. Remember that you are one against seven of us. Seven? Like the seven deadly sins, said Pinocchio, with a shout of laughter. Listen to him. He's insulted us all. He called us the seven deadly sins. Well, take that to begin with and keep it for your supper tonight, said one of the boys. And so saying, he gave him a blow on the head with his fist. But it was give and take. For the puppet, as was to be expected, immediately returned the blow, and the fight in a moment became general and desperate. Pinocchio, although he was one alone, defended himself like a hero. He used his feet, which were of the hardest wood, to such purpose that he kept his enemies at a respectful distance. Wherever they touched, they left a bruise by way of reminder. The boys, becoming furious and not being able to measure themselves hand-to-hand -hand with the puppet, had recourse to other weapons. Loosening their satchels, they began throwing their school books at him, grammars, dictionaries, spelling books, geography books, and other scholastic works. But Pinocchio was quick and had sharp eyes and always managed to duck in time so that the books passed over his head and all fell into the sea. Imagine the astonishment of the fish. Thinking the, that the books were something to eat, they all arrived in shoals. But having tasted a page or two, or a frontispiece, they spit it quickly out and made a wry face that seemed to say, it isn't food for us. We are accustomed to something much better. The battle, meanwhile, had become fiercer than ever, when a big crab, which had come out of the water and had climbed slowly up on the shore, called out in a hoarse voice that sounded like a trumpet with a bad cold. Enough of that, you young ruffians, for you were nothing else. These hand-to-hand -hand fights between boys seldom end well. Some disaster is sure to happen. Poor crab. He might as well have preached to the wind. Even that young rascal, Pinocchio, turning around, looked at him mockingly and said rudely, Hold your tongue, you tiresome crab. You'd better suck some licorice lozenges to cure that cold in your throat. Just then the boys, who had no more books of their own to throw, spied at a little distance the satchel that belonged to Pinocchio and took possession of it. Among the books there was one bound in strong cardboard with the back and points of parchment. It was a treatise on arithmetic. One of the boys seized this volume and aiming at Pinocchio's head, threw it at him with all the force he could muster, but instead of hitting the puppet it struck one of his companions on the temple, who, turning white as a sheet, 
said only, Oh, mother, help, I'm dying, and fell his whole length on the sand. Thinking he was dead, the terrified boys ran off as fast as their legs could carry them and in a few minutes were out of sight. But Pinocchio remained. Although from grief and fright he was more dead than alive, nevertheless he ran and soaked his handkerchief in the sea and began to bathe the temples of his poor schoolmate. Crying bitterly in his despair, he kept calling him by name and saying to him, Eugene, my poor Eugene, open your eyes and look at me. Why do you not answer? I didn't do it. Indeed, it was not I who hurt you so. Believe me, it was not. Open your eyes, Eugene. If you keep your eyes shut, I shall die too. Oh, what shall I do? How shall I ever return home? How can I ever have the courage to go back to my good mamma? What will become of me? Where can I fly to? Oh, how much better it would have been, a thousand times better, if only I'd gone to school. Why did I listen to my companions? They have been my ruin. The master said to me, and my mama repeated it so often, Beware of bad companions. Oh dear, what will become of me? What will become of me? What will become of me? And Pinocchio began to cry and sob and to strike his head with his fists and to call poor Eugene by his name. Suddenly, he heard the sound of approaching footsteps. He turned and saw two soldiers. What are you doing there, lying on the ground? They asked Pinocchio. I, I am helping my schoolmate. Has he been hurt? So it seems. Hurt indeed, said one of them, stooping down and examining Eugene closely. This boy has been wounded in the temple. Who wounded him? Not I, stammered the puppet breathlessly. If it was not you, who did it? Not I, repeated Pinocchio. And with what was he wounded? With this book. And the puppet picked up from the ground the treatise on arithmetic bound in cardboard and parchment and showed it to the soldier. And to whom does this belong? To me. That is enough. Nothing more is needed. Get up and come with us at once. But I... I come along with us. But I am innocent. Come along with us. Before they left, the soldiers called some fishermen who were passing at that moment near the shore in their boat and said to them, We put this boy who's been wounded in the head in your charge. Carry him to your house and nurse him. Tomorrow we will come and see him. They then turned to Pinocchio and having placed him between them, they said to him in a commanding voice, Forward and walk quickly or it will be the worse for you. Without needing to hear it repeated, the puppet set out along the road leading to the village. But the poor little devil hardly knew where he was. He thought he must be dreaming. 
and what a dreadful dream. He was beside himself. He saw double. His legs shook. His tongue clung to the roof of his mouth, and he could not utter a word. And yet, in the middle of his stupefaction and apathy, his heart was pierced by a cruel thorn. The thought that he would pass under the windows of the good fairy's house between the soldiers. He would rather have died. They had already reached the village when a gust of wind blew Pinocchio's cap off his head and carried it ten yards off. Will you permit me, said the puppet to the soldiers, to go and get my cap? Go then, but be quick about it. The puppet went and picked up his cap, but instead of putting it on his head, he took it between his teeth and began to run as hard as he could toward the seashore. The soldiers, thinking it would be difficult to overtake him, sent after him a large mastiff that had won the first prize at all the dog races. Pinocchio ran, but the dog ran faster. The people came to their windows and crowded into the streets in their eagerness to see the end of the desperate race. Chapter 28 Pinocchio Escapes Being Fried Like a Fish There came a moment in this desperate race, a terrible moment, when Pinocchio thought himself lost. For Alidoro the Mastiff had run so swiftly that he had nearly caught up with him. 
The puppet could hear the panting of the dreadful beast close behind him. There was not a hand's breadth between them. He could even feel the dog's hot breath. Fortunately, the shore was close, and the sea but a few steps off. As soon as he reached the sands, the puppet made a wonderful leap. A frog could have done no better, and plunged into the water. Alidoro, on the contrary, wished to stop himself, but carried away by the impetus of the race, he also went into the sea. The unfortunate dog could not swim, but he made great efforts to keep himself afloat with his paws. However, the more he struggled, the farther he sank, head downward, under the water. When he rose to the surface again, his eyes were rolling with terror, and he barked out, I'm drowning! I'm drowning! Drown! shouted Pinocchio from a distance, seeing himself safe from all danger. Help me! Dear Pinocchio, save me from death! At that agonizing cry, the puppet, who had, in reality, an excellent heart, was moved with compassion, and turning to the dog, said, But if I save your life, will you promise to give me no further annoyance and not to run after me? I promise, I promise, be quick for pity's sake, for if you delay another half minute, I shall be dead. Pinocchio hesitated, but remembering that his father had often told him that a good action is never wasted, he swam to Alidoro, and taking hold of his tail with both hands, brought him safe and sound onto the dry sand of the beach. The poor dog could not stand. He had drunk so much salt water that he was like a balloon. The puppet, however, not wishing to trust him too far, thought it more prudent to jump again into the water. When he had swum some distance from the shore, he called out to the friend he had rescued. Goodbye, Alidoro. A good journey to you. And take my compliments to all at home. Goodbye, Pinocchio, answered the dog. A thousand thanks for having saved my life. You have done me a great service. And in this world, what is given is returned. If an occasion arises, I shall not forget it. Pinocchio swam on, keeping always near the land. At last, he thought he had reached a safe place. Taking a look along the shore, he saw among the rocks a kind of cave from which a cloud of smoke was ascending. In that cave, he said to himself, there must be a fire, so much the better. I will go and dry and warm myself. And then, and then we shall see. Having made the decision, he approached the rocks. But as he was going to climb up, he felt something under the water that rose higher and higher and carried him into the air. He tried to escape, but it was too late, for to his extreme surprise he found himself enclosed in a great net, together with a swarm of fish of every size and shape that were flapping and struggling like so many despairing souls. At the same moment a fisherman came out of the cave. He was so ugly, so horribly ugly, that he looked like a sea monster. Instead of hair, his head was covered with a thick bush of green grass. His skin was green. His eyes were green. 
and his long beard that came down to the ground was also green. He had the appearance of an immense lizard standing on its hind paws. When the fisherman had drawn his net out of the sea, he exclaimed with great satisfaction, Thank heaven, again today I shall have a splendid feast of fish. What a mercy that I am not a fish, said Pinocchio to himself, regaining a little courage. The net full of fish was carried into the cave, which was dark and smoky. In the middle of the cave, a large frying pan full of oil was frying and sending out a smell of mushrooms that was suffocating. Now we will see what fish we have taken, said the green fisherman, and putting into the net an enormous hand so all out of proportion that it looked like a baker's shovel. He pulled out a handful of fish. These fish are good he said, looking at them and smelling them complacently. After he had smelled them, he threw them into a pan without water. He repeated the same operation many times, and as he drew out the fish, his mouth watered, and he said, chuckling to himself, What good whiting! What exquisite sardines! These souls are delicious! And these crabs, excellent. What dear little anchovies. The last to remain in the net was Pinocchio. No sooner had the fisherman taken him out than he opened his big green eyes with astonishment and cried, half frightened, What species of fish is this? Fish of this kind I never remember eating. And he looked at him again attentively, and having examined him well all over, he ended by saying, I know. He must be a crawfish. Pinocchio, mortified at being mistaken for a crawfish, said in an angry voice, A crawfish indeed? Do you take me for a crawfish? What treatment? Let me tell you that I'm a puppet. A puppet? replied the fisherman. To tell the truth, a puppet is quite a new fish for me. All the better. I shall eat you with greater pleasure. Eat me? But don't you understand that I'm not a fish? Do you hear that I talk and reason as you do? That is quite true, said the fisherman. And as I see that you are a fish... Possessed of the talent of talking and reasoning as I do, I will treat you with all the attention that is your due. And this attention? As a token of my friendship and particular regard, I will leave you the choice of how you would like to be cooked. Would you like to be fried in the frying pan, or would you prefer to be stewed with tomato sauce. Chapter 29. Pinocchio returns to the fairy's house. Just as the fisherman was on the point of throwing Pinocchio into the frying pan, a large dog entered the cave, enticed there by the strong and savory odor of fried fish. Get out! 
shouted the fisherman threateningly, holding the flowered puppet in his hand. But the poor dog, which was hungry as a wolf, whined and wagged his tail as much as to say, Give me a mouthful of fish and I will leave you in peace. Get out, I tell you! repeated the fisherman, and he stretched out his leg to give him a kick. But the dog, which when he was really hungry would not stand being trifled with, turned on him, growling and showing his terrible tusks. At that moment, a little feeble voice was heard in the cave, saying entreatingly, Save me, Alidoro. If you do not save me, I shall be fried. The dog recognized Pinocchio's voice, and to his extreme surprise perceived that it proceeded from the flowered bundle that the fisherman held in his hand. So what do you think he did? He made a spring, seized the bundle in his mouth, and holding it gently between his teeth, he rushed out of the cave and was gone like a flash of lightning. The fisherman, furious at seeing a fish he was so anxious to eat snatched from him, ran after the dog, but he had not gone many steps when he was taken with a fit of coughing and had to give it up. Alidoro, when he had reached the path that led to the village, stopped and put his friend Pinocchio gently on the ground. Oh, how much I have to thank you for, said the puppet. There's no necessity, replied the dog. You saved me, and I have now returned the favor. You know that we must all help each other in this world. But why did you come to the cave? I was lying on the shore more dead than alive when the wind brought to me the smell of fried fish. The smell excited my appetite and I followed it up. If I had arrived a second later... Oh, don't mention it, groaned Pinocchio, who was still trembling with fright. Do not mention it. If you had arrived a second later... I should by this time have been fried, eaten, and digested. Ugh, makes me shudder, only to think of it. Alidoro, laughing, extended his right paw to the puppet, who shook it heartily as a token of great friendship. And then they separated. The dog took the road home, and Pinocchio, left alone, went to a cottage not far off, and said to a little old man who was warming himself in the sun, Tell me, good man, do you know anything of a poor boy called Eugene who was wounded in the head? Oh, the boy was brought by some fishermen to this cottage, and now... And now he is dead, interrupted Pinocchio with great sorrow. No, he's alive and has returned to his home. Not really, not really, cried the puppet, dancing with delight. And the wound was not serious. It might have been very serious and even fatal, answered the little old man, for they threw a thick book bound in cardboard at his head. And who threw it at him? Or well, one of his schoolmates, a, a certain Pinocchio. And who is this Pinocchio? asked the puppet, pretending ignorance. Well, they say that he's a bad boy, a vagabond, a regular good-for-nothing. Calumnies, 
all calumnies. Well, do you know this Pinocchio? By sight, answered the puppet. And what is your opinion of him? Asked the little man. He seems to me to be a very good boy, eager to learn and obedient and affectionate to his father and family. While the puppet was firing off all these lies, he touched his nose and perceived that it had lengthened more than a hand. Very much alarmed, he began to cry out, uh, Don't believe, good man, what, what I've been telling you. Uh, I, I know Pinocchio very well, and I can assure you that he, he is a very bad boy, disobedient and, and idle, who instead of going off to school runs off with his companions to amuse himself. He had hardly finished speaking when his nose became shorter and returned to the same size that it was before. And why are you all covered with white? asked the old man suddenly. I will tell you. Uh, without observing it, I rubbed myself against the wall that had been freshly whitewashed, answered the puppet, ashamed to confess that he had been floured like a fish prepared for the frying pan. And what have you done with your jacket, your, your trousers, and your cap? Well, I met with robbers who, who took them from me. Tell me, good, good old man, could you perhaps give me some clothes to return home in? Well, my boy, as to clothes, I have nothing but a little sack in which I keep beans. If you wish for it, take it. There it is. Pinocchio did not wait to be told twice. He took the sack at once, and with a pair of scissors, he cut a hole at the end and at each side, and put it on like a shirt, and with this slight clothing he set off for the village. But as he went, he did not feel at all comfortable. So little so, indeed, that for every step forward he took another backward, and he said, talking to himself, How shall I ever present myself to my good little fairy? What will she say when she sees me? Will she forgive me this second escapade? Oh, I'm sure that she will not forgive me. And it serves me right, for I'm a rascal. I'm always promising to correct myself, and I never keep my word. When he reached the village, it was night and very dark. A storm had come on, and as the rain was coming down in torrents, he went straight to the fairy's house, resolved to knock at the door. But when he was there, his courage failed him, and instead of knocking, he ran away some twenty paces. He returned to the door a second time, and laid hold of the knocker, and trembling, gave a little knock. He waited, and waited. At last... After half an hour had passed, a window on the top floor was opened. The house was four stories high, and Pinocchio saw a big snail with a lighted candle on her head looking out. She called to him, Who is there at this hour? Is the fairy at home? asked the puppet. Well, the fairy is asleep and must not be awakened, but who are you? It is I. Who is I? 
Pinocchio. And who is Pinocchio? The puppet who lives in the fairy's house. Ah, I understand, said the snail. Wait for me there. I will come down and open the door directly. We'll be quick for pity's sake, for I'm dying of cold. My boy, I am a snail, and snails are never in a hurry. An hour passed, and then two, and the door was not opened. Pinocchio, who was wet through and through and trembling from cold and fear, at last took courage and knocked again, and this time he knocked louder. At the second knock, a window on the lower story opened, and the same snail appeared at it. "'Beautiful little snail!' cried Pinocchio from the street. "'I've been waiting for two hours, and two hours on such a bad night seems longer than two years. Be quick, for pity's sake!' "'My boy,' answered the calm little animal, "'my boy, I am a snail.' And snails are never in a hurry. And the window was shut again. Shortly afterward, midnight struck, then one o'clock, then two o'clock, and the door remained still closed. Pinocchio at last, losing all patience, seized the knocker in a rage, intending to give a blow that would resound throughout the house. But the knocker, which was iron, turned suddenly into an eel, and slipping out of his hands, disappeared in the stream of water that ran down the middle of the street. Ah, is that it? shouted Pinocchio, blind with rage. Since the knocker has disappeared, I will kick instead with all my might. And drawing a little back, he gave a tremendous kick against the house door. The blow was indeed so violent that his foot went through the wood and stuck. And when he tried to draw it back again, it was a waste of time, for it remained fixed like a nail that had been hammered down. Think of poor Pinocchio. He was obliged to spend the remainder of the night with one foot on the ground and the other in the air. The next morning at daybreak, the door was at last opened. The clever little snail had only taken nine hours to come down from the fourth story to the house door. It is evident that her exertions must have been great. What are you doing with your foot stuck in the door? She asked the puppet. It was an accident. Do try, beautiful little snail, and see if you cannot release me from this torture. Oh, my boy, that is the work of a carpenter, and I have never been a carpenter. Well, beg the fairy for me. The fairy is asleep and must not be awakened. What do you suppose that I can do all day nailed to this door? Amuse yourself by counting the ants that pass down the street. Well, bring me at least something to eat, for I am quite exhausted. At once, said the snail. In fact... After three hours and a half, she returned to Pinocchio, carrying a silver tray on her head. The tray contained a loaf of bread, a roast chicken, and four ripe apricots. 
Here is the breakfast that the fairy has sent you, said the snail. The puppet felt very much comforted at the sight of these good things, but when he began to eat them, what was his disgust at making the discovery that the bread was plaster, the chicken cardboard, and the four apricots painted alabaster? He wanted to cry. In his desperation, he tried to throw away the tray and all that was on it, but instead, from either grief or exhaustion, he fainted away. When he came to himself, he found that he was lying on a sofa and the fairy was beside him. I will pardon you once more, the fairy said. But woe to you if you behave badly a third time. Pinocchio promised and swore that he would study and that in the future he would always conduct himself well. And he kept his word for the remainder of the year. Indeed, at the examinations before the holidays, he had the honor of being the first in the school. And his behavior in general was so satisfactory and praiseworthy that the fairy was very much pleased and said to him, Tomorrow your wish shall be gratified. And that is? Tomorrow you shall cease to be a wooden puppet and you shall become a boy. No one who had not witnessed it could ever imagine Pinocchio's joy at this long side for good fortune. All his schoolmates were to be invited the next day to a grand breakfast at the fairy's house so that they might celebrate together the great event. The fairy had prepared 200 cups of coffee and milk and 400 rolls cut and buttered on each side. The day promised to be most happy and delightful, but unfortunately, in the lives of puppets, there is always a but that spoils everything.